Well, it is springtime, so we are calling those spring Sundays. It is a little bit prophetic, although this afternoon I was feeling a bit good before I came in here. The sun was out, and uh, you know, we are heading into spring, so Pastor Sam thought it would be a good idea to talk on pride, because that would just be fun. Uh, and so, so here we find ourselves together talking about pride on a nice sunny Sunday afternoon. We're in for, for a good, good time. But, you know, pride is one of those topics we do need to touch on. And in fact, we learned, if you're around last Sunday, if you weren't, I highly encourage you to jump on YouTube, grab the podcast, Pastor Sam. But we learned that it was actually, that really it was pride that caused the devil to lose his position in heaven. It was a pride that caused him to fall. It was pride that caused him to fall. But what we love is the fact that it was the humility of Jesus that actually established Jesus. So it was the pride of the enemy that caused him to fall, but the humility of Jesus caused him to be positioned as the authority. And, you know, we're lost through our pride, but we're gained through our humility. And it's our pride that separates us, but our humility that brings us back to God. And so we want to talk about pride, all the fun things around that. We want to talk about this whole thing. But the scripture I want to base this afternoon on is simply found in Ecclesiastes 9 verse 14. We find this scripture says, anyone who is among the living has hope. Even a live dog is better off than a dead lion. A live dog or a dead lion. Can we pray together, church? Is that all right? Why don't you close your eyes, bow your heads. Jesus, we just choose to focus in on you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your scripture. We thank you for what you want to share with us through this collection of talks. And God, we just pray, touch, move in our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We got anyone excited about the word? Come on, we got any young people passionate about the word of God in this place? You know, I've been a youth pastor for a little bit now, and when I first got involved in youth ministry, people would tell me that youth like the fun and the party. They like the fun and the party, so they like the games and the praise. That's what young people like. And then it was a few years ago, we had a vision to see a, a movement of young people passionate about prayer. What would it look like to see a movement of young people passionate about prayer? I remember sharing the idea. We were talking. We were trying to figure out what this would look like. And in conversations with some other leaders, youth pastors, they'll say, young people just don't like prayer meetings. Young people just don't like praying. I love the fact right now we've got hundreds of young people across the city alone that are proving that wrong. We've got young people that are passionate about prayer, praying each and every week out front of their gates, but I I wonder if we could also raise the young people passionate about the Word. Come on, excited about the truth of God, excited about the life that comes from it. Any young people in the room, come on, passionate about the Word? Any young at heart in the room passionate about the Word? Come on, this is the rowdy service, but I do want to talk on the topics of live dogs Dead lions. I, I remember uh, my first car I ever owned. Uh, it was a dog. <laughs> it was a dog of a car. Uh, I remember driving down the street with my father. I was about 17 years old, and there was a van on the side of the road for $300. Uh, and I remember pulling over, looking around the van, and it looked awful. Uh, but we took it for a ride, and it drove fine. So I remember purchasing this car. Uh, it, was, it was a 1981 Mitsubishi Delica Star Wagon. Uh, it was originally dark purple, but it, uh, dark blue, but it faded to like this purple color. Uh, actually, I think the team got a photo of what, if you don't know what a Star Wagon looked like, there we go. That was my first ever car. That was in mint condition. My 
mind was not in that kind of condition. And so it was purple, the red stripe had then faded to pink. Uh, and I just remember being this, this 17-year-old with my first car, column shift. Uh, it was $300. And then I had a friend uh, who was, I was never a cars dude. I was just like, get me a car that will get me somewhere. Uh, and, but I had a friend who, who was a cars guy. And he actually got gifted this like old school HQ uh, Utes. And uh, he was pretty, pretty proud of it. The problem is it needed some work, and he was bragging to everyone about this ute had been given. And then uh, he started working on it. And uh, I remember pulling up to his house one day in my star wagon, uh, and I walked on in, and he's showing me around his, his utes, and he had just freshly got it painted. So he'd done the whole body up, and it just it looked mint. Like the condition of it was unreal. It just looked so good. And I said, oh, let's take it for a drive. And he's like, oh, it doesn't actually go. I spent all my money fixing it up. I ran out of money trying to get it to go. And it took him about two years to actually raise the resource to get this vehicle running. And so why this two years went on, I might have been in the dog of a vehicle. Man, he had this HQ station wagon, but he was still getting dropped off by his mum. And so at the end of the day, I was better off in a live dog than with his dead lion. And I think sometimes in life, it can be moments like that where really what the writer is saying is it's not really about whether, uh, it's not really, like calling anyone a dog is never like a good thing. Like it's never a compliment to be like, you're a dog more. Uh, that's never a compliment. But, and calling a lion always feels good. I remember the personality test you have to do in Bible college. It's like lion, otter, beaver, golden retriever. Before I even know what they stand for, I know what one I want to be. I'm like, they could have helped some people out and chosen some better pit, word pictures for beaver. Uh, but you could, and I remember, because calling someone a dog is, is never a compliment, but the writer of in, in Ecclesiastes is not so much laboring whether you're a lion or a dog, but he's laboring whether you're alive or dead. That actually, it's regardless of where your life is at, as long as there is life, there is hope. And what the writer of Ecclesiastes is trying to get you to understand that it's actually what matters in your life is not so much the stature of it, but the state of it. Not the stature of your world, but the state of your world. And you start to understand as we read through this and you look through the scriptures that God's actually not so concerned about the stature of your life. What he's actually more concerned about is the state of your heart, the state of your spirit, the condition of your life. But I think sometimes in our, in our self-help, go-get-it kind of attitude that we actually put more concern in terms of the stature of our world and often neglect the state of our, the condition of our world, that we put, uh, we put emphasis on developing our stature, and we often don't think about developing our heart and our state towards God. The danger of this, though, at times is when you try to develop the stature of your life, you get uh, into a, a problem at times where you can develop and you can step into a stature that your state can't handle. That you develop, you put yourself into a world your character can't hold to. That it might not necessarily even be the wrong place. It's just the wrong time. 
And God's not so much about progressing your stature as much as he's about developing the state of your life, the state of your heart, the state of your character. And God says, if you would tend to your state, then he would take care of the stature. If you would tend to your character, he will then tend to your call. If you would tend to your life, he will tend to your future. If you can develop the condition of your heart, God will take care of the plan for your life and we find this all through scripture that's where we see like Samuel turns up to Jesse's house to anoint the next one of Jesse's sons as king and so what does Jesse do he looks at his son and lines them up according to stature because he thinks it's the stature where the oldest son he looks like a king looks like he has it all together Jesse uh, Samuel turns up and even him himself Starts by looking at appearance, looking at stature, looking at right. And then God says, I don't look at appearance, I look at a heart. I'm not looking for someone with the stature of a king, I'm looking for someone with the heart of a king. And why all his brothers are lining up there trying to rely on their stature as oldest son or next in line. David's just in the field tending to his heart. And it was actually the fact he just took care of the condition of his heart that God then called him into a place of stature the danger is sometimes I think we try and push forward the stature of our life but when actually God's calling us to do is tend to the condition of our life the condition of our heart you see it right throughout the scripture and the reality is that the call of God called David not based on his position but based on his heart not based on his upbringing, but based on his heart. Not based on why he stood in his family, but based on his heart. See, one thing I've come to understand about the call of God is uh, the call of God in Christianity became one of those topics. Where it's like, how do I discover the call of God for my life? I've come to realize you don't so much discover the call of God for your life as much as the call of God discovers you. That actually I don't so much find the call as much as the call just finds me. You see it throughout Scripture where even Peter, after a bad night's fishing, like I grew up as a kid who went fishing all the time. And I'd spend hours out there, and if we caught nothing, it was a bad day. And regardless of what you ask me to do, I'm not going back out there. But Jesus turns up on the scene, and after a whole bad night fishing, turns to Peter, and he says, hey, Peter, could you take your boat back out and cast your nets one more time? I love the heart of Peter because Peter was just serving the season he was in. He was just serving the season he was in. And Jesus looks at Peter, and Peter obeys in that season and then calls him as a disciple. That actually what qualified Peter was not so much the stature of Peter's world, but actually just Peter's obedience in the season he was in. You see it right throughout Scripture. You see it when, like I said, when, when, when Samuel called David, he was tending to the sheep. You see it when Elijah was called, he was just, talks about he was just plowing the field and he was driving the 12th oxen. When the call of God turned up and called him from the field into his call, but they were all found by the core because they were all found just serving the season they were in. You see, sometimes you can look at the stature of your current season and think this doesn't have much significance on it. But the season you're in right now could be the setup season for where God's trying to call you to. But how you serve the season you're in 
determines whether the, God, the call of God will find you in a state to step into it. We can look at, oh, I'm just at university. I'm just working a casual job. It might not look like much. But, but how significant of your current season is not the stature of it, but, but the way you're serving in it. The way you're serving in it. The life you're serving in it. You see, but often what pride will try and do is pride will push you to be concerned about the stature, about how I'm perceived, about what I'm projecting, about what the world around me looks like. But if we believe in the psalmist in Psalm 75 verse 6, it says promotion doesn't come from the east or the west or the south, but promotion comes from God. And if I believe that actually my call and my purpose moving forward in my life is not so much on me making it happen, but more about me making sure my life is in a state in which God can call me upon, that I'm serving where I am and where God has for me. The season you're in right now could be more significant than you realize. It might not look like much, but how you serve this season will set up where you're heading. But we look at it and just go, ah, oh, it's just, it's just uni, it's just school, it's just, it's just part-time job. Why, why, why does it matter? Does, does, it, does it really matter? And it's easier t- to do and think about the promotion of the Lord when kind of everyone's on par with you. It gets a little bit harder when the season God has you in seems to be a few steps behind where God has others in. I remember I was a tradesman um, out of school, did my trade, and you know, there's a season when God actually called me back into university. I was around 24 years old, and at that stage, um, all of my friends had now finished their apprenticeships and were going on to establish careers, and a lot of them actually going on to, to, to buy houses and going on to pursue and financial becoming a whole lot more comfortable and pursuing that part of life. And God calls me to university and calls me to go broke. Well, everyone else seems like the, anyone want to play Kahoot? <laughs> hey team, we got the Kahoot soundtrack coming out of the fallback here. So, the old production team Kahoot game, pre-service, can we... <laughs> We're able to shut that off, please. It is good backing music. It helps the vibe, but all right. We're a focused people, all right? Focus in. We lean into the Word of God. I, I remember God just saying uh, to me, because uh, I was concerned. I was like, God, everyone else has got this going on. Everyone else is moving forward. But God, you want me to go back to university and be a, a mature student? I just qualified to be a mature student. I was like, God, what about the plans? And I remember just the heart of God in that moment, just say, serve me and trust me. Serve me and trust me. I, I remember I, 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 when I finished high school, God called me to remain in the community I was brought up in, in a small town, small community for, for a number of years. And I don't know how many people tried to convince me I needed to leave. How many people would come to me and, man, you got to get out of here, you got to go, you got to do stuff, you got to do all this. And I, I remember, but the word of God for me was to remain. The word of God for me was to remain, but the voice around me was like, come on, man, you can't go anywhere here. What's? But I've come to realize that season that God kept me there was the best setup season I've ever had. 
but the voices around me were trying to pressure me. And if I had to concern myself with the stature and what other people thought, I would have missed the setup in which God was trying to do in my life. That's why I can't concern myself with the stature. That's why whether it looks like a dog or a lion, it doesn't matter. The question is, is there life there? Is there the word of God there? Is there revelation there? Is the call of God on it? Because if there is, I'd rather be a live dog than a dead lion. I'd rather seem to not have so much, but have life. Then build a world that seems like it has success, but really only has emptiness. Because the temptation and the hustle of the world around us is to build your profile, build your CV, build your world. But the call of Christianity is obey the voice of God, to serve the season God has me in. If there is hope, there, if there is life, there is hope. You know, there's a, I want to read this passage. There's a passage in Luke 18, verse 9 to 14. It says to the guys will follow on the screen with it. it says to some who were confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else. Jesus told them this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you. I'm not like these other people. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers. Or even like this tax collector, I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I, have, all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all, who, all of those who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all of those who humble themselves will be exalted. This is an incredible confronting passage or story Jesus is putting out to the Jewish people around him, the Pharisees around him. But I, I wonder what it is about the, 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 the human condition uh, that finds some level of comfort in comparison. Like, some, like there's a comparison that is destructive, and that's the comparison when you come off second best. Like that's so much better than me. But there's also another comparison that's just as destructive, but actually brings comfort. And it goes, oh, yeah, but I'm better than them. And there's a, what is it about the human condition that causes us to think, well, I'm better than them, so I'm better with myself? Hey, you know, we're Christians in 2019, so we're good people, we, we hope. And we look at the scripture even, and we go, man, I'm... Just so glad I'm not like that Pharisee. How judgmental and religious they are. But then aren't we doing to the Pharisee just what he was doing to the tax collector? That actually the fact we're not that religious makes us feel better about ourselves, makes us think more about ourselves, higher about ourselves. In this equation, then, isn't really just a Pharisee to the modern-day Christian what the tax collector was to the Pharisee, someone we would look at and then elevate ourselves because we feel better now because we weren't like that. And there's something in the brokenness of, of our humanity that often finds comfort in, in somebody else's discomfort or somebody else's wrongdoing. It's like... 
When you fail a test, it always feels better to know other people failed with you. Because the only fun way to fail is if we fail together. And there's something about it. It's like, oh, I feel relieved now. Because I set my standard not based on who God's called me to be. I set my standard based on who those around me and how they are doing. And we set a standard. It's why the Pharisees, it was like they had so many laws to live by in order to, to find themselves at a standard where they felt pleased with God. The danger is what do you do when you realize you can't live up to the standard? For them, they compared themselves to the other Jews to make themselves feel better. Another thing we do often is then we strive to try and prove then we're better than what we really are. We recognize there's a, there's a breakdown between, between the standard we think we should live by and truly what we're living by. And it causes us actually to work and strive and effort and energy put in to actually try and fool this, to try and prove to the world around us that we are, we are better than what we think we really are, but really we're not trying to prove to the world that we're better, we're just even trying to prove to ourselves that we're better. And in our own way, we're trying to make our own sense of our righteousness. So then we live at a standard that we feel okay at, that we feel because our standard is no longer taken. You see, you read through the scripture and is a striving to impress because pride will protect the image you project. Pride will protect the image you're projecting. But the problem is when you realize there's a difference between the image you're projecting and the state you're really in, what do you do in that moment? What do you do with that? Because humility will step out and find help. Pride will strive and compare to make sure I stay okay with myself. There's this moment, but pride is really at the end of the day trusting in our own strength and trusting in our own righteousness. There's a proverb in Proverbs 28 verse 1 that says this, The wicked flee, though no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. The righteousness and boldness actually uh, uh, work hand in hand. When I'm righteous, I am bold. The Pharisees stood confident because he was a self-righteousness. But because the righteousness wasn't founded on true righteousness, boldness is never true boldness. So I have the courage to go after what I think I deserve. But what the life God's calling you into is he's calling you into a life you don't deserve. He's calling you into a world that you don't deserve, to live a call, to live a plan, to live a purpose you don't deserve. And that's why we need to stand on God's righteousness. Although I am not right, I am righteous through the blood of Christ. And that gives me a confidence to go after what I don't deserve. But when you stand on self-righteousness, you'll only ever step in to what you think you can do. But there's a difference between what you can do and what God's called you to do. I could still be a cabinet maker. I could run my own company there. The decision to leave Thames and come to Auckland and go to university was not whether I just stay in trade, it's whether I start my own company or, or I go back to university. There was two things I could have done, but only one thing I was called to do. And self-righteousness will only give you the confidence to step into what you can do. I knew I could run a good cabinet-making company. I knew I had that gift. I knew I had that ability. 
And so I was confident in it. I was confident if I did it, I'd be good at it. I was so scared about university because me and school didn't get along. So I know me and university aren't going to get along very well either. And I wasn't confident at all. I didn't know how it was going to work financially. I didn't, it made no sense, but I could stand confidently in it because I knew God had called me to it. Righteousness with God will give you a confidence to take hold of only that in which he's called you to do. I don't want to just do what I can do. I want to do what God's called me to do, to live the life he's destined me to live. And it's, it's righteousness that will give you the boldness to declare, to step into, to take hold of. It's righteousness. But righteousness that's founded in Christ. And his grace says at the start of that scripture, though, that the wicked flee, though no one pursues. You see, why do you run when you don't, when no one's chasing you? Well, really, it's a bad conscience when you know there's stuff wrong in your life. It's like, it's like one thing I didn't realize when I kind of stepped into what we do now was Actually, I could never really just text a lot of our close friends and just be like, hey, do you want to catch up? And for it to be just like that. Now I text people, hey, you want to catch up? And they're like, why? What have I done? <laughs> so, it's like, nothing. I just want to hang out. And they're like, oh, why? What, what do you want to talk to me about? What is everything? And, and it's like, I don't I didn't want to talk to you about anything. I just want to hang out. But there's something in our conscious that has stored up bad things that we now think other people know about. So it's like, have you ever gone to a shop? Maybe this is just me, but you ever gone into a shopping mall and you'll walk through and you don't want to buy anything. And so you just want to walk out, but the security guard's there. And he looks at you. And you're going to like somehow pretend, like put on that I haven't stolen anything. <laughs> Anyone else felt that pressure before? It's like, you're, I'm like, I'm, yeah, and it's like you're trying to like show there's nothing in my pockets. I'm good. Well, why? He's not even asking. But something in my conscience, there's a breakdown. So now I think that the world around me is aware of what's going on. And so a bad conscience will call you, cause you to flee, will cause you to run. But a, but a, con a conscience that has come right in the foot of Christ, that is open in the life of God, will give you a boldness. A bad conscience will... It doesn't, it, it turns parents into police. You know, it's like Adam and Eve made a mistake. The Bible says then God came walking through the garden, so they hid. But God came walking through the garden every day. It doesn't say God came stomping through the garden. But now they had made a mistake. Even though God wasn't stomping angrily through the garden, that just God walking caused them to hide. You know, it's like there, there's some things that it will do. It will turn parents into police. Our conscience will, will, will twist things. It will turn shadows into ghosts. It will even turn God into our enemy, even though he's not. When we're not right with God, but a righteousness that is founded in God. The reason we need a righteousness founded in God, like I said, is because God's going to call you into places 
you don't deserve to be into. I love the start of this passage in Luke 18 because it's talking about a tax collector. And now for the Pharisees, before Jesus even lands the point, the fact the tax collector was at a temple was enough of a reason to get them off guard. What's a tax collector doing at a temple? Because tax collectors weren't allowed near the temple. They weren't even considered Jews anymore because they had turned their back on them. And so Jesus like, hey, but there was a tax collector by the temple because that's what God will do. He'll take your life. If your life has a humility about it, he can take it and put it in places it shouldn't be. He can put, some of you already know this. You know you shouldn't have got that job. You know you're the least qualified. You know that in the interview, the person coming in behind you was far more qualified, had a greater CV, had more experience. But why you? Because God will do that at times. It's like sometimes there's, there's times where there's people in our world that we don't think much of because the stature's not. It's just like, oh, yeah, they're just, that's them. But while we're underestimating them, they're in a season of preparation. And because they're serving the season they're in, God then starts to exalt them into places of influence. And you're like, man, we didn't, how did he get that job? How? how? So sometimes you see guys and then they start dating a girl and you're like, how? <laughs> how? I know what that feels like because people used to look at me like that when me and Lita started dating. Ben, oh. you know the same struggle way is. Like, how? Because that's just what God does. When you take care of the condition of your heart, when you serve the season God has you in, when you're humble enough to admit, God, I'm not right, but I step into your righteousness. God can take your life and do with it what you don't deserve to do. Go take you to places you don't deserve to go. I love the fact, you know, even on the front row, we have jazz. Incredible. I was just saying when I walked in this morning, I'm like, jazz, I feel like I've seen you a lot this week, even though I haven't seen you at all. Can you just get off my TV? It's like the, the platform, the influence. But the reason you can step into that is because there was a season. And because she embraced the season and lived within the season. See, sometimes we want to rush ahead of the call of God. And we want to become king. When Samuel's like, no, you just got to still stay here and look after the sheep. Because you have the call but you still need to be prepared. And for some of us in this room, it's like you want the core, you want to step into the more, but it's because you're overlooking the season you're in. God can't take you in the season you need to be. You see, just as we finish, I don't know if the keyboardist can come and do his keyboard thing. Clearly, I'm not a keyboardist. But there's some things that what pride will do is pride will blind you. The Pharisees stood face to face with Jesus, but were blind to who Jesus really was. I don't want to stand face to face in my world with what God's calling me to do, but be blind to it the whole time. The first thing, they were blind to their need of God. Blind to their need of it. Now we start this journey with God by admitting our need of God. 
until we get along the way. And when we once desperately hungered for God, we don't hunger so much anymore. Because we look at our life and we look at the lives around us and we think, you know, I'm doing pretty good. And so the hunger dampens down. Sometimes we treat the presence and the voice of God a bit like our passport. Like I'll get it out to get me through. But once I've gotten through that situation, I'll pack it away. And then next time I need it, I'll pull it out again. And I'll get through. You know, there's times I don't know, like my passport, every time I go to use it, it's like, where is this thing? Unlike a passport, God never expires. But I do believe God releases revelation relevant to the season. And the problem is when we treat God like a passport, we hear the voice of God, we hear the call of God, and we use it to get through, and that revelation then gets put away. And then another situational pressure comes around, and we try to pull it out again, but the revelation doesn't seem so relevant. The revelation doesn't expire, but revelation develops. And the revelation I did have, I did live with, was great to get me through the season I was going through. But now I'm in a new season. But because I haven't developed my revelation on the journey, I pushed it aside. Now when I face a new challenge, it's like, God, you're not speaking. We're more, it's like, no, we're not developing. That's why I daily got to walk with God. I daily got to push into God. Why? Because I need to develop the revelation of who God is in my world on a daily basis. So when pressure and challenge and situations come up, I don't have a stale revelation of God. I don't have a word from last season. I got a now word for where God has me now. But it's only a heart that amidst the need that will lean in daily to the presence of God. Just real quickly, we're out of time, but other thing it will blind you to do, pride will blind you to the need of others. Pride is so self-consuming that you won't even be able to see the need around you. Not only that, it will also blind you to your need for others. I can do this on my own. So no, you can't. It's that simple. You can't. You can live a version of your life alone. You can't live the God version of your life alone. You need people for that. And really, pride will also blind you to what God has on for offer. He stood in front of the Pharisees and offered freedom, offered relationship offered miracles, offered signs and wonders. They were blinded by their pride. They couldn't even take hold of it. Pride will stop you from being able to take hold of, but humility enables you to step in.